Thank you for joining us. Remember, you can watch our services live and view our archive at StevensCreekChurch.com, the Stevens Creek app, or on our Roku channel. And if our ministries have touched your life, we'd love to hear about it. Send us an email to mystory@stevenscreekchurch.com. We hope today's message encourages and inspires you. Enjoy the message. Well, good afternoon and welcome to Stevens Creek Church. Uh, what a powerful, powerful video. I'll tell you, uh, it never gets uh, tiring or old to me to see people who come forward in their faith um, and go through the waters of baptism. That is exactly why we're here. We're here as, uh, as a church just to tell people that they matter to God. If they matter to God, they matter to us, and you're welcome here at the creek. And to see so many people to take that step, it's a great day. It's a great season. And I really believe that um, the best days are ahead. And I'm going to talk about that over the next few weeks, especially at our vision gatherings on October 2nd and 3rd. And so just make a mental note to RSVP about that. So let's get started. What if you open the newspaper tomorrow morning and you open to the obituary section and you saw your name? Man, that would be startling, wouldn't it? I mean, would that cause you to reevaluate your life? Would it cause you to reconsider how you spend your time? That's exactly what happened to Swedish uh, inventor Alfred Nobel. Alfred was the man responsible for inventing dynamite. And even though dynamite is synonymous with, with destruction, his original intent for this invention was to save lives. He wanted to create something so powerful that, that people would recoil from the thought of ever going to war with each other and therefore creating more peace. Now, things in Alfred's life were, were moving ahead until one day he opened up the newspaper and he saw his own obituary right in the paper. Now, what was going on really was his brother died. But the people at the newspaper were mistaken. They thought it was uh, Alfred that passed away. And so they wrote up the uh, obituary for Alfred, even though his brother is the one that had died. And he started to read that. And they looked, he read uh, through his own obituary and they highlighted that he was the merchant of death. When he saw that in his own obituary, it really challenged him. He came face to face of how his time on this earth had been spent. So he decided to refocus his remaining uh, time to his original goal, and that is to do something that helped the people of the world around him. With that decision, he drafted a will and uh, directing over 90% of his net worth to, to go to the establishment of the Nobel Peace Prize. In his own words, he said, those during the preceding year shall have conferred the greatest benefit to mankind. We've all heard about it now, the Nobel Peace Prize. Shortly after his uh, death, uh, uh, the first prize was given away. And now we remember him as an agent for peace. How will people remember you? What kind of legacy are you leaving? Are you the one that, uh, are you the person that's living out your purpose and that you understand why you have been placed on this earth? Have you uh, come to the place where you get it, you understand your purpose and meaning? Well, today we're continuing our series based on the Good Samaritan. And when we hear the word Good Samaritan, most of us think about that. And we think about that when we see somebody broken down on the side of the road. 
Well, the Good Samaritan in Scripture is remembered for his compassion and his generosity. Now, the story is found in the New Testament. It's the book of Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 through 35. And this story is really a story within a story because it all began with Jesus, when Jesus had a conversation with an expert in the law. And during that conversation, this lawyer asked him, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, when we hear that word, we think he must be talking about the afterlife. What do I do to get to heaven? But in the Hebrew mindset, it was different than that. It meant, what do I do to find purpose? What do I do to find meaning? How do I find the best life possible? How do I find that God-centered life and to be in the center of God's will? And Jesus responded to him and said, here's what you do. You love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And that lawyer was taking all that in. But then Jesus said this, and you're to love your neighbor as yourself. And at that time, he offered a question, well, well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus begins by telling a story. He tells a story about a traveler who is going down a particular road and gets attacked and beaten by thieves. And last week, we talked about the first two people who walked by this person that was laying there half dead. It was a priest and a Levite. And they walked by and they missed an opportunity to help him out. And we talked about missed opportunities. Today, we're going to talk about the third character in the story. Now, Jesus is introducing this third character And he gets their attention by saying a Samaritan got off of his donkey to help this stranger out. We pick it up in verse 33. He said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have incurred. Now, Jesus started uh, this character's story by focusing on his heart. Because when that guy, the, the Samaritan, was going down this road and he saw this person laying there half dead... He had this thought, somebody needs to do something. Somebody needs to do something. This is not right. Have you ever been in a situation where you had those thoughts? That you see an injustice here, or you see a problem here, or you see a difficulty here, and you think in your mind, this is not right. Somebody needs to do something. Oftentimes, God uses those uh, feelings and those words that come into your mind as a way of prompting you to do something. You see this need. You see this problem. And God is uh, causing you to notice that so that you can do... And you say, wait a minute, that's above my pay grade. I can't do that. Well, we see the uh, Samaritan man... He got off his donkey and he did what he could do. Jesus never asked you to do what you can't do. He didn't ask you to give what you don't have, just to do what you can do. He used 
um, his own strength. He got off his donkey. He saw this man. I'm sure he didn't have a first aid kit. I'm sure he probably wasn't trained in in, uh, medical arts or anything like that. But he got down and he did what he could. Maybe he tore his shirt. Uh, Maybe he wrapped his shirt around the wounds. Uh, He said he, he looked at what he did have. He had some oil and he had some wine and he poured that on those wounds. And then he took this man, he loaded him up on his own donkey, and he walked to the next town. Now, get this. He was riding, but now he is walking. He walked to the next town carrying this. He put this man in an inn, a hotel there, got him a room, and then he stayed with him over the night. I would imagine that as he is doing this, that man is coming back to um, consciousness a little bit. Maybe he's groaning. It's hurting. Some of you have been there. Some of you have taken care of a, a sick child. Or maybe you've sat with someone who's just come out of surgery. And you spent the night. And all throughout the night, you'd, you'd hear the groans of that person. The pain of that person. And you'd jump up to try to help. I, I would imagine that's what this guy was doing. That he probably had a sleepless night because of trying to take care of this man who had been uh, wounded. And beaten and left for dead. Verse 35 says, The next day he took two denarii and he gave it to the, to the innkeeper. Why is that important? So many times we, we read um, sentences like that and it is important for us to go a little bit deeper into it. When we go a little bit deeper, we have a better understanding. In those days, one denarii would equal a man's wages for um, a single day. So when he says two denarii, he was saying, basically, I'm going to take care of I gave him enough money to take care of him for two days. This is two days wages. Let's say in today, if you're making $10 an hour, you work eight hours, $80, two days, $160. So this guy in our world was given the innkeeper, let's say $150 or so to take care of him. And so that's what he did. He paid the, the innkeeper. I, I kind of wonder... I would imagine this innkeeper and this Samaritan guy, they probably knew each other. More than likely, this Samaritan guy had traveled this road before and maybe he had stayed at the inn because he tells him, I want you to take care of him and I'm good for it. You know me, I know you, and I'll come, I'll come back and I'll pay you what you've invested in, in the care of this individual. So that kind of lets me know that maybe there was a relationship there. And what that really says to me is that this Samaritan was willing to give more than his money. But he was willing to give his resources. That means his personal influence to help this person out. He's going to bring together money and his resources and that just so that he could get through this. He brought it all together. He gave what he could. He did what he could. Jesus never asked you to do what you can't do. To give what you can't give. He always starts with what you have. This reminds me of a story in the New Testament when Jesus was preaching uh, and a large crowd gathered, a crowd of over 5,000 people. He had been preaching all day and the disciples came to him and said, Hey, Jesus, let the people go home. They're hungry. It's hot out here. They need something to eat. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, hey, why don't you feed them? (laughs) We can't feed. That would take a, a lot of money to feed this crowd. Jesus said, well, what do you have? We don't have anything. Well, we've got five loaves of bread and two fish. 
And they, he said, bring them here. And Jesus took those, that bread and that fish and he blessed it. And he fed the multitudes of 5,000 people with that. God's blessing on that. So when we come to a need before us, the real question is, what do we have? What do you have? Because we give what we have to the Lord and he blesses that and multiplies it. Here's the point, fill in the blank. You are born to be blessed and you are born to be a blessing to others. You're born to be blessed. God's favor is on you. When we look in the scriptures, it says that you've been created and you have been blessed by him. That he has a plan for your life, a plan to prosper you and to keep you in peace. God's favor, God's blessing. Don't ever make excuses for God's favor on your life. Don't ever feel guilty for God's blessing on your life. You were born to be blessed. So many times people shy away and and they, they feel guilty because they live in America and they feel guilty because we've been blessed as a nation and we've been blessed as individuals. Don't feel guilty. You were born to be blessed. Why is that? Because you were also born to be a blessing to other people. You're meant to bless the world. You and I have been created to make a contribution, not not just to consume. We've been created to do good works. This is the message of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 when it says, We are God's workmanship. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have been created for this. We've been created to give back. The Bible says that we're created to serve, that we're saved to serve, that we're gifted to serve, we're shaped to serve. God has called us here to serve. And all you have to do is you do what's possible. And then you allow God to work through you and do what's impossible. Now, here's what we know about this. And we look at this story and it's interesting. We think, oh, yeah, count me in. I want to be on that serving, uh, uh, in that serving opportunity. I want to do that. But let's just be honest here. When you make a decision that you're going to serve... It's going to cost you something. Serving will always cost you something. Think about this. When this guy got off his donkey, it cost him something. It cost him his time. It cost him convenience. It cost him um, his money. And as he got deeper into taking care of this guy's needs, it cost him more time and more uh, money. So it's going to cost you Serving is a sacrifice, and that when we come to a place where we, uh, we serve someone, we're, we're sacrificing our time, our money, our efforts. And so many times, people don't want to do that. But God calls us to sacrifice. He calls us to give. You say, well, what? let's be specific. What will it cost us? In fact, it costs us five things. First of all, it'll cost you your time. Now, typically, I don't like those preachers that preach with alliteration. I'm just, I don't flow like that, but I'm guilty of that today. All these will start with the letter T. Make it easy. I am that guy today. 
it'll cost you your time. When I was at Sanford University, uh, they said the three B's of a Baptist church is buildings, baptisms, and bucks. And so I always remember that. Uh, Baptists love to do with bees. And I was, by, cha- I was trained by a good Baptist, I guess. So what's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you your time. What do we know? We know that every one of us, we have 24 hours in every day. We have 24 hours. And so that becomes the most valuable resource that we have. And when we look at the time we have, we know that we can spend it, we can waste it, or we can invest it. But it becomes precious. And to those of you who are younger, you think that you've got all the time in the world. And maybe you do. But I'll tell you, as you get older, what you'll realize is that your most valuable resource is your time. Here's the point. Time is a limited resource. You can, yes, waste it. You're just wasting time. Or you can invest it. You can waste it or you can invest it. And if you're going to make a difference in the world, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your time. When I think about that, I think about how many people invest their time at Stevens Creek Church. We are a volunteer intensive organization. Every week to make these services happen, it takes hundreds of volunteers every week to pull this off. Volunteers who will say, yes, I'll give of my time. I'll show up 30 minutes early or an hour early, or I'll invest time in in leading a small group, or I'll invest time in uh, youth ministry, volunteerism, or maybe working in the children's ministry. We have hundreds of people that do that. And I'll tell you, as we look at the days ahead, we need hundreds more. Because God's vision for this congregation is so much larger than what we're seeing right now. I think about the opportunities that we have in the Dream Center. I think about the opportunities we have with the next generation. It takes volunteers. There's no way that we would ever have enough staff to take care of the needs that God has called us to, to meet. We're volunteers. Volunteer intensive organizations. So uh, when we think about what it's going to cost, it's going to cost us our time. But not only that, it's going to cost you your talents. Because God has given you unique abilities. He's given you insight. He's given you talents and experiences and your background. All of that merged together to help people and to do his work. You know, in the Bible, we see that uh, the concept of service and the concept of ministry come from the same word. You're a servant and you're a minister. That means that everybody, every member at Stevens Creek is a minister, that you are involved in the ministry. So here's the point. God's gift to you is your talent, but your gift to him is how you use it. God's gift to you, that's your talent, but, but your gift to him is how you use it. See, God has uniquely qualified you to do certain things. You are a talented individual. You have those gifts. God has given some of you the, uh, the ability to work with your hands, and you're a craftsman. That's a gift. God has given you some of you the, the ability to be good salesmen, and you have that ability to persuade. God has given some of you uh, the ability to work with numbers, and, and uh, you have those gift to put together compilations and so forth, and you're good accountants or engineers. When you start to look 
uh, inside. God has given you abilities and talents and he's given you experiences and he's given you your personality. Why is that? So that you can use what you've been given to help other people. So it's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you your time. It's going to cost you your talents, but it also is going to cost you your treasure. That, when that good Samaritan was coming down the road and he stopped to help that guy, it cost him. Somebody had to buy the oil. Somebody had to buy the, the wine to pour on him. Somebody had to pay the innkeeper. And so it cost him money. Now, this is where some people just get off and said, okay, you can have everything, but you can't have my money. That's my money. Well, I understand this, and I want you to understand Deuteronomy 8 and 18. It says that it is the Lord that has given you the power to create wealth. God's given you that ability to make money. I think you need to make as much money as you can. God has given you the ability to make money. Now, along with that ability to make money, he has given you the responsibility to use that in a way that would honor him. So how are you doing with that? How are you honoring God with your money? Here's the point. If you want to see what's important to you, check your bank account. Check your bank statement. Just look at it for the last 30 days, maybe the last 90 days. You can go through that and you can see those important things uh, chronicled in your statement. God has given us this ability to create wealth. And he says, just return the tithe to him. And so we return the first 10%. But along with that, he says, to bring alms and offerings. So there are times in your life where God's going to prompt you to go above and beyond to just help somebody out. And so that prompting, and I just want you to be sensitive to that prompting. Oftentimes God has prompted Patty and I uh, to do that, but... We're sensitive to that because we've been on the receiving end of other people's generosity. We've been those that have been blessed by somebody stopping and helping us out at a, at a critical time. Twelve years ago, Patty and I had two kids in college. Now, we were prepared for the first kid in college, but when, you know, after the money ran out pretty quick. And then the second year, it just, it was magnified. And it was a tough season in our lives. So when I, when I um, think about so many of you that have kids or are preparing for college, my heart goes out. I get it. I understand it. And some of you, um, it's just ahead. And I'm, uh, may the Lord bless you on that. But see, we're at a place, uh, in a, very, a tough season in our life. We had two kids in college. We had second mortgaged our house so that we could start Secure Give. And so we had this startup company and and Patty worked there full-time for four years before she ever made a paycheck. So she's not making any money. And things were tough. And so when you go through tough times, you've gotta, you can't live like you've always lived. You've got to do something different. And during those times, you had to cut back. We just had to cut back. And um, one way we cut back is that uh, it's what we drove and... Patty said, uh, Marty, you're going to get a new car. I said, great, we're going to get a new car. Well, what she meant was there was a seven-year-old uh, Toyota Corolla stick shift that had been sitting uncranked for a year, and that's the car you're going to drive. In fact, 
You're going to pay $3,000 for it, but you're going to be kind of embarrassed, so you've got to go to Mako and get a $249 paint job for the car. Then you can drive it. So I had no problem with that. And the reason she told me that, because uh, she said, your car that's six years old, you're giving that to Sarah because she's going to college and she's got to drive through Atlanta. And so I want her to be safe and you're going to be driving this car. And so that's kind of how that works. And, um, and I'm okay with that because Toyota Corollas are, are very reliable cars. And, if, um, and so I did that, a stick shift and all, uh, for several years there. Now, I, I had no problem with that. No problem at all. Um, but there's a lady that worked at the church, Ann Williams, who is our uh, financial director. And she's retired now and lives in Tennessee. But she just thought, oh, my goodness. We pastor, I pastor a church of over 1,000 people, and I'm driving to the hospital, and I'm driving around town um, in an older uh, Mako-painted uh, Corolla. She said, somebody's got to do something about that. I'm thinking, I'm okay. It Nothing drives better than a paid-off car, okay? Seriously, nothing drives better. I have no problem because it was paid off, okay? It was paid off. Nothing drives better than a paid-off car. But she started praying. You know, when a woman starts praying, you better watch out. And so sure enough, I had no clue. And she didn't tell me this for a couple of years after all of it developed. But she started praying. She said, God, she said, please get Marty another car. We, we can't have him driving that. I didn't have a problem with it. But her prayers prompted somebody uh, in the community to call me up. Uh, a guy owned a, a car dealership. And uh, he said, uh, God's blessed me. And I want you to drive a company car. And for the next three years, I drove, I drove one of his company cars. Uh, he, he took care of everything, and then they sold the dealership, and that deal went away. But um, <laughs> why am I telling you that story? Because I know what it means to receive that blessing. And, and we learn now that, that we're in a place where we can return the favor. We can be a blessing to others. We were born to be blessed, but now we are born to be a blessing to other people. I am speaking to you about do what you can do. Respond to the promptings. That guy was able to do that because he had hundreds of cars on his lot. Okay? That's just what he did. So Jesus said, look at what you have and then just do use what you have to help other people. He's not going to ask you to give what you don't have. I said, are you going to give your time and your talents and your treasure? And this is a stretch here. You're going to give your talk. It's really your words. All of us have words. And in fact, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 11, it says, encourage one another and build each other. You know, one of the greatest things that you can give somebody, somebody who is in need, somebody who is down, you can give them a, uh, your words. You can build them up. You can speak life to them. You can encourage them. You know, there are people that you're going to meet this week that they feel like that they're the guy laying on the side of the road that they've been beaten and torn up and they're laying there half dead. And this is not a, really a physical issue, but emotionally they're worn out and they're just frazzled. And you have an opportunity to look at that person and to speak life and call good things out of them. That maybe with your words, you can encourage them to do things that they never thought they could do. 
Here's the point. Be an encourager. The words you say in a moment can stick with someone for a lifetime. The Bible says you have the power of life and death in your words. And so we need to be an encourager. Because the words that we speak in a moment, they can be with somebody for a lifetime. I'll never forget. When I was in college, I had a great time in college. And, and the funny thing, I, I said this story in the second service. My son-in-law said, Marty said, yeah, you had a great time in college. Um, but when you say that, I know what you meant because by the time you were 20 years old, you'd preach in 20 states and all of that stuff. He said, that's not what a great time in college means to people in our world. So can you please clarify that? And so this is the only service that gets the clarification. Okay. But meaning I got involved in so many activities that I didn't study that much. Okay. And so when I went to go to graduate school, they said, hey, you just don't have the grades. You don't have the grades for Sanford University. And, um, and so I graduated with 2.8. And so, um, and so <laughs> all the 2.8 folks out there, <laughs> hey, we're together. <laughs> we got through it, didn't we? Um, and we know that everybody that makes A's work for the government and everybody that makes uh, B's work for those that made C's. <laughs> That's true too. Because people who make C's, they're out socializing. They're learning how to work the system. They're learning how to do all that. kind. Of, they're having a good time, but not like my son-in-law said. Um, <clears throat> maybe they are. Where am I going with this? Is it, sometimes you can get in this third service and you, you just come off the rails. And so I got into graduate school on probation. They said, you know, okay, we're going to give you a semester. You know, and if you can't cut it, buddy, you've got to pack up and hit the road. It's over. And so I, I, I took the challenge and I did that and I, I studied hard. But there was a professor that sat me down. His name is William Cooley, W.A. Cooley. And you've got to understand, I am going into this thinking, like, I don't belong here. Everybody else in this program, they're smart. And, and I listened to their conversations, and they really were smart. And they were talking about things I probably should have been uh, taught, but I didn't know. And, and I just felt really like I didn't belong there. But there was a professor, W.A. Cooley, that saw something in me, and he started calling it out. He started calling, and he started speaking those words of encouragement. He started calling, and he said, no, this is not going to be your only degree. You're going to go on, and you're going to get a doctorate. I said, oh, no, I no, you're going to do this. And, and he started just calling that out and saying, you can do this. Sometimes what we need more than anything else, more than time or talent or trade, we need somebody to talk to us. We need somebody to speak words of encouragement. We need somebody to call out greatness. And just maybe we can help somebody else and make a difference in their life by just giving them a few minutes and listening to them and then calling greatness out of them, calling healing out of them. You can do this. Here's the fifth and the final one. Not only uh, is our words of encouragement important, but finally is our testimony is important. Our testimony the Bible says that we're made overcomers by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. He said, well, how will your testimony help somebody who is laying on the side of the road half dead? Here's the point. God has given you a story and he wants you to tell it. 
God has given you a story. That's your testimony. And you can just tell your story to that person who is struggling, to that person um, you, you call out goodness out of them, but you say, look, you can do this because this is what happened to me. I am the guy that got into graduate school on probation. I am the guy. And just tell your story that you can get through this. And you say, this is what God has done in my life. Some of you will have an opportunity to share your story, to testify of God's goodness and God's grace this week. And when you have this opportunity to to give your testimony, I don't need you using a lot of religious words. I just need them to... I just need you to tell, their, tell them your story. Say, this is what God's done in my life. And I believe he can do the same thing. Because if I know somebody has been through what I am going through, I want to hear that testimony. I want to hear how they overcame and how God saved them and God's grace was given to them. God has given you a story and he wants you to tell it. Here's the next one. Don't miss the opportunities that God gives you to serve other people. There's a lot of things out there. Don't miss your opportunity. God, this week, is going to give you an opportunity. Don't miss it. Don't push it to the side. I want you to embrace it. Now, I'm going to be very, very practical over the next few minutes. Really practical, okay? God doesn't expect you to bless and help every person that you see. It's unrealistic. You look in your world, I'm telling you, there's problems everywhere. You get on Facebook, I mean, there's problems everywhere. You go to, uh, in your neighborhood, there's problems everywhere. God does not expect you to be the savior of all of those folks. It's unrealistic. So don't let the overwhelming number of opportunities to serve keep you from taking advantage of the right opportunities to serve. Here's my point. It's impossible to serve everyone. I want you to do for one person what you wish you could do for many. I want you to do for one person I want you to do for one person what you wish you could do for many. And this week, when you see a need, I want you to say, God, is this the one? God, is this the one? Is this the one that I'm supposed to respond to? Is this my Good Samaritan experience? Is this the one? We can be overwhelmed with all types of opportunities. And oftentimes when when we have those opportunities and we say, God, is this the one? God typically responds in three ways. First of all, he will say, go. He said, this is a clear invitation for you to, to embrace the opportunity that's in front of you. Go ahead. Sometimes he says, go, but sometimes he says, no. This is a need, but this is not something I want you to be involved in. Because if you get involved in this opportunity, it's going to keep you from a better opportunity that I have planned for you just around the corner. 
No, I have somebody else in mind for this. And if you do this, you're going to rob the blessing from somebody else. Sometimes God says, go. Sometimes he says, no. And sometimes he says, slow. Yes, I want you to be involved in this. I want you to help out here. But I want you to slow down. I want you to slow down because it's not the right time. If you can wait just a little bit, take a deep breath. It's not the right time. And so as we go into this week and we seek to do for one, which those things that we wish we could do for many, I just want you to be open to God's promptings and allow God to use you. God has you in this community and in this history at this particular time for a specific reason. God has you at Stevens Creek Church. You are here because God meant for you to give something back. He brought you here to serve. And he, he knows you have something. He's got, you've got your background. You've got your talent. You've got your skills, abilities. You've got your contacts. You've got your network. All of that, you've got your hobbies, your interests, all of that makes up you. And God wants to use you in this church to serve. And you've got to figure out where that place of service is. Now, I want to encourage you to go to the Next Step class in two weeks. Maybe stop by the Welcome Center out in the, in the lobby. To talk to some of our staff pastors, if you want to uh, serve in small groups, JT's right here. You want to serve in communication and techno, uh, technical ministries. He's got Wes right here. Wave at me, Wes. You know Wes. You want to serve in, in youth ministry. Got Dylan over there. Wave at me, Dylan. All right, children's ministry. Um, uh, you can talk to to Ryan. There's places to serve. So just be open to God's promptings. And it may be here on site, but it may not be. God may have a mission for you in this community at your workplace. Just be open to his prompting. Our time's up. But it's never uh, too late to pray. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for this day. And I just pray that this story of the Good Samaritan would be more than just something that we think about when we see a car broken down on the side of the road. I pray, God, that, that this message resonates with us. That we would be open to the opportunities that come this week to serve. And Father, I pray for those individuals that they feel like they're the ones that are laying on the side of the road half dead. And they've wandered into this church just needing a touch. It's my prayer today that the power of your spirit would rest upon those individuals here that feel broken and beaten and battered. And I speak life over you. I speak hope over you. And I speak healing. And I believe that Jesus is going to touch you right now. So open up your heart and say, Jesus, I receive what you have for me. And to those of you that have never received salvation, just say this, say, Jesus, save me. Make me into the kind of person you'd have me to be. I give you my life. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to serve you. Father, as they pray that prayer, do as only you can do. We thank you and we give these prayers to you. And in Jesus' name, we pray. And everybody said...
Amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening. If you would like to help support the ministries of Stevens Creek Church, please go to StevensCreekChurch.com and click the Give button. See you next time.